Previously on the Jay and Dan podcast. Mm-hmm. You were at my house on Saturday and you ate an entire meal on my porch. Mm-hmm. Proceeded to devour food at an ungodly pace. Like, if you've never eaten a meal with Dan, it's as if there's going to be um, zombies are encroaching on Dan and he needs to get this food consumed before the zombies get to him and the food. Mm-hmm. I got to Irish exit from that call because my computer locked up and I'm like, that's my cue. Mm-hmm. You're out of there. Actually, can you put you were gone, actually. Can you put it on can you put it on my tombstone? He never said goodbye. <laughs> mm-hmm. What I'd like to know is why did like Dan sort of bow out of the conversation over the last 10 minutes? No, it? no. I think that's just Dan. Mm-hmm. Hang on. I got to take some pot pies out of the oven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no. oh, chaos in the rumpus room. You're listening to the Jay and Dan podcast brought to you by our friends at McDonald's. Dance. <laughs> Dance. No clue of the date. If you told me it was May 20th, I'd say sure. If you said it was May 30th, yeah, why not? If you said it was June 1st, I'd still agree with you. I had to check. It is May 11th, 2020. The best year on record. How about May just sucking as a month weather-wise all around? Like just, it's just bull. It's just a bunch of bull in Ontario, May. It sucks now. It's September's the month to be in. September's where it's at from a weather perspective. May's hot garbage. Yeah, it's, it's not hot. It's cold garbage. It snowed and then it was warm and sunny and then there was a snow squall all across Ontario. It's just been it's been brutal mother nature. Uh read a room. But at the same time, Across the country, I know a lot of people listening to us across BC. Talked to my sister yesterday. Pools open, kids are in the pool, 25 degrees, gorgeous. So, uh, yeah, we just live in a province that sucks. <laughs> hey, it's okay. Good things grow in Ontario. Well, I mean, I love many things about this province. Uh, I dislike the weather and the booze laws. That's it. Though the booze laws are, have, have loosened up over the course of this uh, self-isolation period. I'm just hoping they stay that way. Come on. Come on, Doug Ford. Come on. I know you can do it. I know you believe in a free market, Doug. I know you do. Let these people keep doing their thing. That could be your band name, Booze Laws. Somebody uh, laughed at uh, the fact that on our TV show Friday, Dan, I gave a shout out to all the frontline medical workers and the Uh, nurses and the doctors and then we always like to give a shout out to the restaurant workers who are delivering food now and doing food for pickup and of course the people working at the liquor stores but i said the people working at the booze stores i said i called them booze stores and someone thought that was funny i think i think that's appropriate because i don't want to leave just it's not just liquor i mean it's all sorts of different booze you know there's wine and there's beer well i guess liquor is is wine and beer. Too. He drinks at lunch time. I still love the beer store in Ontario. Their slogan, I don't know if it still is on the commercials. The beer store. It's where the beers are. Yeah. Perfect. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I also like the logo. How the beer, uh, the B in the beer store, the top is white, but the bottom of the B is like a golden color to mimic uh, a beer in a glass. I think very clever design. 
Very uh, so if any teams uh, or any community groups are looking to raise money when this is all over, go door to door collecting bottles because you're going to make a I have noticed. And not that I spy on my neighbors, but Dan, you've been to my house. Like if I outstretched my arms in between, that's how much space there is between our houses in downtown Toronto. So I see, you know, all my neighbors when, when it's recycling day, I see all their bottles and significant, significant increase in all my neighbors and myself in terms of recycling. And it's all alcohol. No question. <laughs> hey, you got to cope somehow. Hey, this, this past weekend, did you get the uh, UFC pay-per-view? No, I did not, Dan. I have small children and uh, we were dealing with them, but I understand you did. And it sounds like it went off really, really well. Yeah. So our first guest on today's podcast is the guy who, uh, calls the UFC. He calls the pay-per-views. John Anik, we used to work with him at Fox. Great guy. Um, we'll get his take on how things went in Jacksonville. So if you don't know, they held, they're holding three events at the same venue in Jacksonville. And no crowds. Uh, they've got it spaced out where there's only two fighters uh, before uh, the fight that's coming up. So you have limited amount of time to get ready as a fighter. So it's not your standard. They're, they're busing them in, keeping them apart. Um, so there's a lot of protocols, a lot of testing. We had one UFC fighter test positive uh, before the event went off. So he was pulled from it. Chaka Ray. Chaka Ray did, right? Yeah. So and then the, the main uh, the main event was amazing. Um, Tony Ferguson and Justin Gaethje. Uh, and there he is. John Attic, the man who called the match. Hi, John. Hey guys. Oh, what a pleasure to see your, your faces. How are you guys? Oh, excellent. You look fantastic, my friend. This this uh, elevation to number one status looks so good on you. You're wearing it well. Well, I appreciate it, man. You know, I certainly had a, a long five years learning the, the bottom half of this roster, and I think it helped me certainly when I got the opportunity to uh, to call some of these title fights. It's funny because I don't have any shtick. I don't plan any of my calls, so I think it's kind of liberating in that way. I'm trying to have the moment be its own historical context, and it's nice to be able to cap title fights instead of just main events. It just has a different sort of breadth to it you know i need a headset like that you sound so professional and it, it just sounds so good and i've always wondered what's the inside of a jacksonville hotel room look like now <laughs> we know now yeah. we know and i'm getting to know it all too well i took my n95 mask off for you boys what a fight week what an insane experience this has all been with uh you know i have my wristband for my daily screening for temperatures and everything else just uh a broadcast experience and an atmosphere unlike any i've experienced prior obviously you know Okay, so let's start with I it's I shouldn't start with the hotel, but I want to start let's the hotel. Do it. How are hotels operating? Like what's the, what's the procedure in a hotel right now? So when they do deliver room service, they are masked, they are gloved, they are hanging the bag on the door and they're taking every necessary precaution. All of the fighters are being screened daily. We just had another influx of fighters and camps come in, right? Because we're doing essentially 75 fighter camps in eight days. So Sunday and Monday, 25 more camps have arrived. And a lot of us have been here. We've been conditioned to going through the motion, so to speak. That's probably not the best way I could put it. But, you know, you see a lot of people coming in here wide-eyed because they've been quarantined for 60 days. They've been removing their groceries and putting them in Ziploc bags and sanitizing everything. And then you step out of that and you see fighters walking through the lobby, taking most, but not every precaution. And, uh, you can't help but wonder why did I take those precautions for 60 days? If I was <laughs> going to come on the road and just be uh, exposed to all sorts of people and germs. Um, 
How so? Take us through the fight on on Saturday. Calling it had to have been extremely surreal for you. And it, it it was, and it evolved as we went on because as the night went on, we were starting to hear that Carla Esparza had used Daniel Cormier's commentary as corner advice to actually strategize and help her win a fight. So that sort of inspired me to take my cans off. And dude, his voice was echoing through the entire arena. Certainly there have been times where we've called prelims in Vegas. As you guys well know, boxing and MMA crowds can be late arriving unless you're in those Canadian waters, of course. But in Vegas, people aren't showing up. It's super quiet. But the fighters can't hear your commentary, even though you're draped on the base of the octagon because there are 300 staffers and 800 fans or whatever it is. They heard most of our every word. And so in between rounds, when I would say, hey, fighter A's corner just told him to do X, Y, and Z, fighter B, it stands to reason, was hearing that. So that's my biggest takeaway, that maybe I'll be a little bit more reserved or aware of maybe where the athletes are in relation to me when I'm spewing commentary. But uh, it's weird without fans, but you guys know when you have the headphones on and you're sort of tunneled in, you're not really thinking about anything else. So I don't know that it affected our calls all that profoundly. And you guys sounded amazing. I got the pay-per-view, watched every single fight, and uh, I was messaging Ariel Hawani, and I said, did you miss the crowds? He said, actually, and he asked a question. He said, maybe was it better? Because during a lull in a fight, there was no booing. You could make up your own opinion on whether this fight was going well or not. So there was a uniqueness to it. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. You got to think it's a judge's dream, right? Because I think as human beings, you can't help but be swayed and you hear 25,000 people scream, even if a strike doesn't connect. And we're guilty of that on the broadcast. We can't see all of these strikes in real time. There are plenty of times where I'll be like, oh, and Rogan's like, it didn't land, you know, and that's just (laughs) the way it goes. So from a judging standpoint, I have to think they like not having any crowd there because they could really hear everything. But I do think it poses some interesting challenges when it comes to the corners. And uh, we'll make a few tweaks and pivots, I think, coming up Wednesday. We obviously have show here in another couple days but uh it was a cool fight atmosphere there's no doubt about it but the fans are the lifeblood of this sport and maybe rogan and dc don't agree with me but i'm excited to have them <laughs> back in full force hey Sat, do you think that's true do you think well, it's weird because rogan's a guy who performs in front of sold out arenas as a stand-up comedian you right. think he would be the one who would miss it the most right i think there's certainly something nice about being able to use the restroom if you're Joe Rogan on fight night and not having to battle with people. I mean, I go use a public restroom. As the play-by-play guy, I may get one chance, right? So I have to go to the closest restroom and you're having conversations with guys and uh, racing back to the octagon. And so, yeah, I think there was sort of a weird feeling in the arena. And for those guys, maybe they liked the, the liberating nature of the fact that they weren't having to battle fans all night. But yeah, a unique broadcasting environment and one that Joe said outwardly that he really wanted to experience. But uh yeah, I think for a lot of these athletes, they're, you know, candidly, there are plenty of these athletes that are used to competing on a Wednesday night at a strip club with judges who are smoking cigarettes, right? So <laughs> I don't think the athletes are going to be as phased as maybe some of us non-athletes, if you will. Uh, did you sense the UFC, were they nervous uh, since they're the first ones out of the gate in North America back to work? It's a fair question, but really not at all. I mean, I think you guys sort of know our inner workings pretty well. We're doing 40-plus shows a year all over the world with all different logistical elements. We make live production changes on the fly all the time. Even when Jacare Souza tested positive, that adds three hours of work to my plate that night. But we have a lot of different safety and security protocols now that weren't necessarily in place when I joined the company in 2011. When we used to go to Rio de Janeiro, for example, it was a lot safer in 2011 than it is now. So our elevated presence has not been lost on me there. So 
I just feel like if even if it sounds like a guy who gets his paycheck from the company, I feel like if any company was well equipped to return in this type of unforeseen climate, it was probably the UFC. So Dana White and the execs, I'm telling you guys, honestly, they didn't bat an eye. And speaking of Dana, any direction to you, Dana, in terms of how he wanted you to call the fight or was he just did he just let you do your thing? Yeah, he lets us do our thing. Nothing in terms of calling the fight. I think there's a general protocol that we are trying to shine the most positive light on these athletes. And I think, by and large, we wanted to keep it on the fighting and not focus so much on everything else. And part of that was a byproduct of just our fighter calls, that a lot of these training camps were uncompromised and not nearly as impacted as maybe we thought they would be. So not to necessarily lean into that narrative, but uh, the fights took care of themselves as they usually do and uh, gave us plenty to talk about. But yeah, no major directives from the boss, thankfully. Yeah, Gates G uh, picked a, uh, a perfect time uh, for everyone to get to know him now. It's crazy to think about his, what his body of work was outside the UFC, right? He did win a major world championship, defended it five times. He was undefeated when he came to the UFC, but I think the public perception was that until he really dented this UFC lightweight division, he was not an elite lightweight. And it didn't take him long to resonate with UFC fans, but now he has that signature win and the accompanying UFC interim lightweight belt to go with it. And now... His legacy and his legend is entrenched and can never be taken away from him. It couldn't happen to a better guy. He's super thoughtful, as hard a worker as we have in the game. And uh, he's just the real article, man, like John Candy, planes, trains, and automobiles. What you see is what you get, you know? I mean, his parents have been at every fight. His dad worked in the copper mines in Arizona. Justin knew a lot of things and knew he didn't want to do that. And look at him now, you know? Couldn't be happier for him maximizing the showcase and, of course, the other side is it's sad to see Tony Ferguson absorb all that damage, but Justin is richly deserving of all the love that's being showered upon him today. And then you get Khabib, you know, tweeting about the fight. Obviously, he's watching. He knows that Gaethje's coming for him, and you got to be excited as uh, as the UFC play by play guy to know that this is a fight that's going to happen at some point. Right. Though I guess we always th- I guess we always thought Tony and and Khabib was going to happen at some point and never and never did. But yeah. we're assuming Justin and Khabib is going to happen at some point. And that is going to be something because, as Kenny Florian said, John, Justin might be Khabib's toughest matchup. Yeah, I think matchup-wise, it stands to reason that that is the hardest matchup for Khabib. I think there is a recency bias there, and we don't want to just denigrate Tony Ferguson's body of work on the way out. This performance might be an outlier for Tony. I tend to think if Justin Gaethje and Tony fought 10 times, Gaethje would probably have his number 70% of the time based upon what I saw over 20-plus minutes on Saturday night. But fascinating matchup between Khabib and Gaethje. They're managed by the same guy. There's a lot of familiarity there. That fight will happen, though, because Gaethje's the type of guy, and Tony, I I guess, and Khabib are too, but he'll fight with a torn ACL to make that fight happen. So I think it's interesting that Justin is a smaller lightweight. So not that he's going to rush to put on muscle or change his style for this fight necessarily, uh, but you do have to do some things conditioning-wise to prepare for being underneath this bear of a human being. So I think Gaethje probably thinks it's an eventuality if he doesn't get him out of there in a couple minutes that he's going to be on the ground and hip escapes are only going to take you so far. So it'll be the hardest training camp of his life, but uh, you know, he's going to put in the effort and uh, I think it'll be pretty close according to Vegas. We'll see. Also on Saturday night, we had a nice surprise, George St. Pierre. He's being inducted into the uh, UFC hall of fame. Sorry, my 
oven was turned on for some reason. Uh, uh, I'm doing this from my kitchen. Uh, it's, it's a new world. <laughs> um, so George St. Pierre going into the UFC Hall of Fame. And to hear the fighters uh, talk about him. Uh, first off, how many uh, GSP matches have you called? And have you ever seen a fighter in the sport that respected? So I got to call a couple of his early fights to an international audience, but it was only the Michael Bisping fight that I actually got to do on pay-per-view to an English-speaking audience, I guess, in North America. So only one, but thankful to have gotten that one in. And I don't say it, you know, because of the present company. The best crowds in all of mixed martial arts per capita are in Canada. Those are my best memories calling fights. And even though I didn't get a chance to call George's fights in Canada, I went to many of his fights in Canada, and he brought up an entire sport in a nation. I don't know that there's any precedent whatsoever in all of MMA for what that man accomplished. Most fighters, if you poll our current roster of 600 plus, they believe he's the greatest of all time and not John Jones. So you parlay that with what he was able to do in bringing a market uh, to the forefront like that. Uh, it was the easiest selection in UFC Hall of Fame history. I'm just praying that he gets his induction ceremony in July because it's a moment that brings out emotions even in the most stoic. And I really want to see George crack a microphone and, and get that entire experience. And it's hard to believe sitting here on May 11th that it would happen in July. Maybe they can postpone it till the fall because he, he deserves it. Well, you brought up John Jones, John. So I, I have to walk through that door and ask you about <laughs> Uh, the guy that, you know, a lot of people think right now is still the best pound for pound, but obviously have so many, uh, out of the octagon issues. Uh, do, do you see him coming back again and, and regaining what he had or, or, uh, where, what do you think of John at this point? Well, the last time we saw him in the octagon, it was a very close fight against Dominic Reyes. Yeah. And the finishes that define the early part of his career just have not been there recently. If memory serves, I think he has 10 decision wins in the UFC right now, which is a mind-blowing number given the high highlight reel that he has put on tape. So I, I think it's going to be hard for him when he comes back. I think the fights are going to be just as competitive as the last few have been against the likes of Dominic Reyes and Tiago Santos. But I absolutely believe he will be back. Um, I don't know if the form that we see is going to be better, but I do think at this point in time, this latest transgression, I just think was disappointing. You know, I think as his daughters get older, it becomes a harder conversation with them because they are not all knowing, but far more aware of everything that's going on and what some of these words that are being associated with their father actually mean. But man, at the end of the day, when I hear about him just pulling over and talking to homeless people like that is John in a nutshell. And there's actually a good heart in there that just is so ignorant about what he's doing in that moment that is putting himself in, in great danger with the law. It's really disappointing that he can't get out of his own way. But I still believe in the athlete. I still believe in the team around him that has put up with a bunch of hell. Um, I'm hopeful, but not as optimistic as I've been, obviously, times prior. Okay, John, I have a theory. Just hear me out. It's the Apollo Creed uh, Rocky Three theory in that uh, the man who will save John Jones in the end will be Daniel Cormier. Cormier will get into his corner because I remember, I think it was the third time they fought when, when John Jones said in the octagon, the only thing, kind of show of respect he kind of gave him, he said, I, I want to be more like this man. I want, right. I want to be like this man. And I, right. it made me think there's a little crack open there, a little door open there to maybe these guys getting together, maybe DC getting in there, talking some sense into him. I remember that well, and, I, and I'm happy to hear you bring it up. They're certainly not in any sort of place that they were then, right? It's deteriorated further, I, I think, because there have been further episodes. 
But that's very interesting because there was a time when I sat between John Jones and Rashad Evans, who were teammates, right? I mean, Daniel Cormier and John Jones were never teammates, but there was a time the friction between Rashad Evans and John Jones was so palpable and so real that if you would have told me they would come to a place where they could bury the hatchet, I would have told you there's just no way, Jay. So I think it stands to reason that they could eventually display some mutual respect. Never work together, certainly, but uh, <laughs> I just think right now there's there's nothing fabricated about that animosity, and uh, I wish I wasn't wearing my Daniel Cormier yeah. shirt right now. I, I love me some Johnny Bones, but no, uh, I just don't see it with those two. But I'm I'm hopeful that John will... Uh, well, I mean, when I was 27, like I was an idiot, you know, but he's not 27 anymore. You know, I mean, yeah. that used to be part of his excuse. I don't know that he can make that anymore. So, John, before we let you go, I have two questions. Um, did they put you in a hotel room with two beds? So does that mean you have a roommate? And also, have you had a nasal swab, the ones where they touch your brain? So I don't know about the two double beds. I usually get the king, but I was just so happy to get into a room that was clean and not occupied that I didn't ask too many questions. I actually <laughs> had to have two nasal swabs within 12 hours. First one, I took like a champion. Second one, not so brave, a little bit of a choke. <laughs> I just think the nostril was a little bit inflamed and my, my first result hadn't come back yet and we needed things expedited because I had to get on television. So I took a second swab and that was super unpleasant. It follows your anatomy basically, as you guys oh. probably know. So it doesn't feel like it hits your eye cavity, but it does feel like it's in your forehead. So yeah. it's, uh. there's nothing pleasant about it, but it's funny to see these fighters freaking out. Like Paul Felder just got here and he's like, dude, I got to talk to you about the nasal swab. It's like, bro, <laughs> you just went to New Zealand and fought Dan Hooker for 25 minutes and you're worried about this eight seconds. I, I don't know what, to <laughs> but here's you. the thing, John. So we, Tony Ferguson shot his nail nasal swab and, um, we had, we can't really see it that well. Cause we're doing the show from our homes and it was on a loop during our show and we showed it like four or five times. I watched it when the show aired and I almost threw up. I had to turn away because it is that uncomfortable to see. Yeah, no, it's not. It's not pleasant. And I think for the fighters who have broken their nose several times, some of the, uh, the Ooh. people who are administering the test were worried that some of those nasal cavities that have been compromised would, would make for a tougher path on the way up. But you know, some of these nurses are trying to make it quick and painless and others are taking their sweet time. I mean, my second <laughs> swab was like 16 <laughs> seconds. So, you know, I think there is some bedside manner and some, uh, some who are better than others, not unlike an IV, but we got through it. I mean, but again, it's like, I'm going to probably have to take several more of these as we continue to go along here so you know man john it's so great to see and i'm so proud of all your success man you're just well, the thank best. you i gotta yeah. tell you guys i mean i know in the u.s there were so many people that were upset when you guys um left but i think i was probably more upset than any american i was a p1 viewer of you guys you were exactly what we needed and uh i miss you guys every day and, and i'm happy to see your faces of course oh. You're a nice man. Thanks for saying those things. All of that was a lie, but we appreciate it. That's a fact. Hey, enjoy Jacksonville. We hear it's uh, the vacation capital of Jacksonville. One of, one of the worst cities in the continental U.S. Thank you, guys. Thanks, John. We, we, heard, we heard when they hosted a Super Bowl, it was not a good experience. I was here in 05. It's no really? better now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Thanks, John. See you, boys. Thank see you. Bye-bye. Oh man! Yeah, Jacksonville. People do what not. Lovely like guy. People do not like Jacksonville. It's still just baffling that they got a NFL team of all the leagues. Of all, I mean, I could see the NHL biting on it. I could even see baseball biting on it. But the fact that the NFL 
And I know there's a story to it and why it happened. They came in with Carolina, but <laughs> it's just so weird that Jacksonville has an NFL franchise. It is very odd. Uh, John, he's so good. Uh, so, yeah. again, can we get those headsets off? That was a great little setup he had. Boy, there. he sounded great, too. I've got... Stop, uh, Stop just nodded. Monster headphones. <laughs> hey, uh, shout out to my wife. Uh, Mother's Day was uh, Sunday. And I just wanted to say a big shout out to my wife because she... Uh, she has been amazing through this whole self-isolation process, keeping the family happy. So uh, she had a good time with my daughter yesterday. They watched Frozen 2 together. And uh, by all accounts, it was two thumbs up. I have no wife, uh, but I really screwed up during Mother's Day. I talked Ooh. to my mom today. I'm like, because uh, we FaceTime, we uh, did all that stuff. And she's oh, like, boy. oh, yeah, Mother's Day was tough. Uh, none of my children stopped by, but I'm like, I... Oh, but here's the thing. It was her birth. No, it was it wasn't her birthday recently? What was it? It was Easter. And I'm like, how about we do an Easter egg hunt in front of your house? And she goes, no, that would make me feel worse. So we go by and always stop by to say hi, like once a week on the outside in the garage. So I'm like, I don't want to stop by Mother's Day because it'll make her feel worse. But I, uh, I screwed up. Sounds like you really dropped the ball big time. Can I ask you a question? You posted something that my wife and I were a little alarmed by. Okay. It was uh, a nice, it started off as a nice uh, uh, mention to your mom on Mother's Day. I think it was on Instagram, maybe it was on Twitter. And you said, you know, my, my mom, Sandra, and she's great and everything. And then eventually it got into to, uh, smothering your brother, Sean, with a pillow. I said, uh, I, I don't know how, but my mom never um, murdered my brother, Sean. And then I said, Mom, we can't wait to smother you with hugs and Sean with a pillow. <laughs> I did that post for Sean's benefit. Luckily, he enjoyed it. Okay. Okay, good. I'm, I was happy to hear because I wasn't sure. I got to be honest. I was, it was a little bit like a DC and John Jones thing. I didn't know where the relationship was. Oh, no, no. So, uh, he laughed. He said, um, my mom even talked to him. He said, did you see what that little posted? <laughs> so while I was not visiting my mother on Mother's Day, I did watch for the first time ever uh, with young Ruby O'Toole. Star Space, Wars. Space Jam. Oh, I got to be honest, someone said something today that I thought was very appropriate. Dan, I don't know where you stand because you and I are basically the same age. They said, and I'm just paraphrasing a bit, that they understand the difference between millennials and Gen X now. Millennials care deeply about Space Jam. Like, it's a, it's a uh, touchstone movie in their lives. Gen X don't get it, don't understand it. And I couldn't agree more with that. I, I've never seen it. I have no desire to see it. It sounds like one big commercial, but it seems like maybe you disagree. It was, um, it had my, my, my daughter's attention the entire time. It's very short, which I like. And uh, the only thing, the drawback was uh, the Looney Tunes voices. They sounded like you and I did them. Like so, it's not the original Looney Tunes voices. But is there a plot to the film? Yes. Uh, aliens come to Earth. They want to take over the Earth. And they go to the Looney Tunes. And then the Looney Tunes say, hey, uh, 
you can take us all over, uh, but first we have to have a basketball game. And the aliens are like, yeah, no problem. What's basketball? So then they go into like Charles Barkley's body, uh, Patrick Ewing, Sean Bradley, and then their monsters become these guys. They suck all the NBA talent out of these guys. So then the Looney Tunes are like, well, what are we going to do? So they get Michael Jordan, who was playing baseball at the time. He comes up out of baseball, uh, plays against these guys, and then uh, they have a big uh, basketball game. It sounds awful, but, uh, I, you know, a lot of people love it. I mean, I know people are going to be sending us tweets and saying, on right, you don't know what you're talking about. It's one of the greatest movies ever. Um, I do like the fact that Jordan was playing baseball at the time, and they incorporated that into the film. That's pretty good. Yes. Um, no C.J. Nikowski, though. Oh, yeah. Well, they can't have him in there because he'd embarrass Jordan. Again. Uh, it was funny, though. So he was playing for, what, the Birmingham Barons? And uh, 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 I guess the Barons. And, and he goes back to the dugout. They're like, hey, you struck out, Michael, but you look, sure look good. I struck out. I look like a piece of shit. They don't say a piece of shit, but it was pretty funny. They were He was making fun of his own baseball career. Oh, in the movie? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Like the catcher's like, hey, Michael, thanks for the sign ball. And he's like, slider coming up. Don't swing. Nah. Every every pitch, he's telling him the pitch, but Michael still strikes out. He's like, I told you not to swing. He goes, I couldn't hold back. Hey there, let's stop. Listen, after experiencing some technical issues with a certain video calling app, we were finally able to connect with NASCAR reporter Jamie Little. As for the issues themselves, you can hear our troubleshooting outtakes at the end of the pod. Can you guys hear me? Yes. Yes. <laughs> wow. Oh my lord. Okay. You are so, so patient. So Thank you. 30 minutes to connect. <laughs> <laughs> Your Skype ID should be like uh, Jimmy Big Wheel uh, or something easy, not 400 numbers and letters. I'm telling you, no kidding. That's why when we talked earlier, I was like, yeah, is it my phone number? That seems pretty straightforward. Nope, not even. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, uh, I think we've only met once in person, and that was at the NASCAR Awards one year. Yes, that's exactly right. It's so cool to see you guys. You were part of our air for so long. I'm wearing the watch. wearing the watch I got in our gift basket. No way. It's a Shinola. I've now got three of these watches. I love them. Memories. Yeah. <laughs> That's Amazing awesome. Amazing memories of that award show, Jamie. But the most intense for me was the smell of Flo Rida's cologne. It really knocked me off my feet. Yes, it, it was special, huh? Because he fit right in. <laughs> but That's it, right. And it was so strange. We saw him on the red carpet and we're like, we got to go say hi. But we're like, do we say, hey, Mr. Rida? So that's what we said. Hey, Mr. Ryder, uh, can we get a picture? Oh, my gosh. They always pull the most random celebrities for the awards. They're like, are you really a NASCAR fan? Are you just here because you're pushing something? Yes. That was the night where we ran into Guy Fieri at the, the backstage. And he's like, hey, go have dinner at my restaurant. And then we'll meet up later. We went, had dinner, came back. He still hadn't presented. It was that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Thankfully, they have changed things since then. It's a little quicker. Okay, they've streamlined it. Okay. Yes, yes. It's like a cocktail party now. 
Oh, that sounds pretty fun. That sounds pretty fun. Uh, Jamie, you must be very excited about uh, the upcoming weekend. Yes, I am. Can you guys believe it? What a two months it has been, basically. So I was down in Atlanta, and if you guys remember, they were just starting. I can't remember the date exactly, but, you know, second week, like um, middle of March, and it started coming out. They started canceling events, and NASCAR's like, we're going to proceed. We can. We can do it safely, and we didn't know the extent of it, so... All I knew is I'm on a plane. I'm going to cover the race this weekend. Friday morning rolls around. We're going to the track. We're going to cover practice. And things were literally changing every 15 minutes. And hmm. next thing I knew, I was on a plane home at 2 p.m. in the afternoon and, um, and haven't been back to anything since. So here we are. And now we're finally going to go back racing and, and the first of the major sports to do so. Yeah, well, we talked to John Anik. So UFC, they returned in Jacksonville this past weekend. So they're all in a hotel. And I think the thing that NASCAR has going for it is these guys are traveling in motorhomes in which they're the only ones entering them. So you don't have to worry about hotels and stuff like that. Yeah, it's so interesting. So obviously we've had calls on this. So first off, you know, normally to cover a NASCAR race for Fox, it's like 130, 140 people, just a production. So it's scaled down. I believe we get to bring 40 people to the race this weekend. So that means one reporter. So Regan Smith will go this weekend because he lives near there. He can drive there. It's easy. No pit spotter to help you out. So you'll have 40 cars you're covering and listening to by yourself. And then the producers are in Charlotte. Jeff Gordon is in Charlotte with Mike Joy. So it's like it's going to be bare bones to get the product on the air. That's the important thing. But um, it is streamlined, and like you said, the drivers will have their coaches there. They are not to leave their bus when they pull into that track. They are not to leave until it's time to get to their car, and they will walk out by themselves, be on the grid by themselves, no family, nothing around them. And I actually talked to some crew chiefs, and they said, I won't even see my driver until they're ready to get in the car. And it's like, hey, bud, have a good race, and that's it. Wow. It's great. And then, you you know, you talk about the iRacing, Jamie, which has been, I think – I don't want to say a surprising success, but it's been a big, big success for NASCAR over the last couple of months. And then you just lead right back into the real races. Obviously, NASCAR's got to see this as a pretty big opportunity. You said it, the first of the big, big sports to return. Absolutely. And I, I think that Fox was quick to jump on the iRacing because we know a lot of those drivers, that's what they like to do in their free time anyway. Not all of them. But they enjoy that. Just to, It's fun. It's like it's a video game. And it keeps them fresh, you know, to some capacity. But I think there was a great opportunity there. People, we're all thirsty for sports. And so Fox joined with NASCAR. And they made this thing happen with iRacing overnight. And they had over a million viewers watching iRacing. It's not even real racing. <laughs> I mean, it, it blows your mind, right? So I think, and you know, it's younger generation that loves that stuff, Twitch and all these things, watching people play video games. So I think that there's a real opportunity for us now to capitalize on that. Those new faces that are like, hey, I know Denny Hamlin now. I, I see him race. He's so good. I want to see what he does in a real car. I think we're going to have a lot of that. We're going to have a lot of people saying, hell, I just want to watch something on TV that's sports and competition. And then oh, yeah. there's going to be those eyeballs that, People are like, okay, how are they going to pull this off? Is it going to be okay to step outside and have these events in reality? Hey, I've missed it because uh, it's it's my Sunday sport. You, you can watch <laughs> a bit of the race, go out, do some errands, come back, rewind, make sure you didn't miss anything, keep watching. You can. So I, I really miss it on Sundays. And 
I have to imagine this is the longest you've gone without going on a plane in forever. That is so funny you said that. Since my career started at 21, I was thinking that this morning. I've never been in one place for two straight months. It's just, it's crazy. I mean, I, I'm like, well, I, I can do this. It's, I, I'm not <laughs> going nuts. <laughs> I mean, when I'm homeschooling my seven-year-old, I'm going nuts. But oh, um, yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, I think it'll make us all appreciate once we're out in the real world and doing our normal jobs, it's just going to make us appreciate life, appreciate what you have more and appreciate our jobs, quite frankly. So I'm excited. Um, like I said, I won't be at Darlington this weekend. I'll be watching, taking notes because the next weekend in Charlotte, the Coke 600, as of now, I'm the only pit reporter there and it's 600 miles. So um, I'm drinking water now to get uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, the, the Coke 600, you can start the, watching the first of the race, go for errands, uh, watch a bit of the race, go for errands again, eat a meal, and come back, and there's races still on. That's exactly right. <laughs> I mean, we go through everything. It's bright sun, and then we get, I mean, it'll drop like 25 degrees by the end of the race. It's a long one. But as you guys know, Race fans know that is the biggest day in racing, Memorial Day weekend, Memorial Day Sunday. Normally you wake up, you have Monaco F1 on in the morning, then you have the uh, Indy 500 is happening, then a tiny break, and then you're watching the Coke 600. And we're the only show in town that day, so it is a big responsibility, I feel. There's a lot of eyeballs, again, I think people just watching for various reasons. But it is a celebration race, and it will look different, but um, I think people will appreciate the fact that NASCAR is just making it happen. You've been covering the sport. You covered it for ESPN and ABC for a long time. We saw you do that for so long. Then you come to Fox. And there was such a heyday for NASCAR. And now NASCAR is trying to get that heyday back. They're trying to regain that momentum. Do you see the young drivers that are coming up, Jamie, right now? Do they remind you of those old drivers that you saw back in the day? Does it feel like you got a chance to really get, get that audience back again? You know, I, I think that there are some of those drivers that are, are racers. They grew up in a garage. They're using their hands like a Brad Keselowski. That, that's just all they knew. Like, go back to, like, Mark Martin and those guys of, of the old day and, you know, Rusty Wallace. And those guys just love to get their hands dirty. If something's wrong with their car, they want to make it faster. And they know how. Now, guys, if you try to go in the garage and you say, well, I want to learn about this in my car. I want to make it faster. The crew chief's like, uh-uh. Sit back, you can sit in the car and you can drive it. So it's a totally different mentality. And you know, these cars, the technology, they're not stock cars anymore. It's a lot of technology. I mean, it's very similar, I think, in a lot of ways to IndyCar anymore. I mean, there's everything is computers. So it's just, you can't physically just go work on a car anymore. So I think there are some drivers that still love that. You'll see them get out of their car and they're looking, they're helping their team. But for the most part, these are drivers, and that is their focus, is to get out there and win races, and they don't need to know anything about the race car. Uh, at what age? Well, I don't know anything about my car, and I drive it all the time, so I'm sure they're the same. <laughs> now, at, at what age um, and at what track did you see your first NASCAR race? It was Las Vegas, where I lived, and I think I was 18, actually. I, I saw a stock car racing before then. It wasn't NASCAR sanctioned, but that was my first NASCAR race. I was a motocross girl. That's That was my love. Supercross is my, was my first job, but it was like my first love, too. At 14, I fell in love with dirt bikes, and, and the rest was history. So here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, is, is Fox had Supercross. Do they still have Supercross? And are you involved in that Supercross, Jane? 
No, we, uh, we, well, the contract expired and we didn't get it back. I wish that we did. I think Fox does too, but you know how contract negotiations sure. go. Um, NASCAR was a great, or Supercross is a great property for Fox. You know, it kind of, it brings in that younger generation that can cross over to NASCAR. Um, so when I signed with Fox, I got to go back to Supercross and host some That's of the races. That's so cool. It was. I felt like the old chick, though. Like, I was a young girl. <laughs> it's such a young sport, you know? The guys are, they're done by the time they're 29. Yeah. Okay, can, uh, before we let you go, um, can we, uh, can we go through, I got some rapid fire questions here. Yes. You can, See, you can go. It's hard. When, when you're the one that interviews, it's so hard to be. I know. <laughs> it's so great, isn't it? Oh, it's <laughs> this My is feet is hot. <laughs> These are easy. Uh, your favorite track, if you were a fan. Talladega. That's ah, my favorite. Is it not the best? It's amazing. It, it's it, the danger factor, the party factor, just. It's just incredible. You can't explain it. America, Americana at its finest. I've told it on the podcast many times. It's the first time I've ever had uh, boiled peanuts. And I ate, uh, I ate uh, food out of a barrel from a man I'd never met, and it was delicious. And he's your best buddy now, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I never want to see him again. Um, uh, the best driver to uh, interview. Best driver to interview... I love somebody that gives mutual respect and they always talk to you no matter the situation, if they just wrecked out. I would say Joey Logano is a great go-to. It used to be Carl Edwards, but Joey Logano always gives the respect and Brad Keselowski, you know, they'll always give you an answer when you need it and not give you attitude. You know, what's interesting about that, by the way, those are two, uh, maybe not so much Carl, but like Joey's such a polarizing guy. So it's so interesting for, to hear you say that, Jamie. Right. From a person yes. who has covered the sport for a long time to say that, you know, he gives you respect. And yet and yet, you know, he's almost playing the villain now. Totally. From, uh, right. So, yeah, it's interesting. I love that. It's, answer. It's, that's, very cool. that's why people are always shocked when I say that, because it is a juxtaposition, because he is like that villain on the track and people love to hate him because he's so aggressive and he's doing his job. But off track, I mean, they don't get nicer than Joey Logano. Uh, best food at what NASCAR track? Oh, gosh. Food. It's, tough. it's tough because you're probably eating catered food. Yes. But, you know, food is a big deal. So I would say like Charlotte Motor Speedway, they've got like the carnival food, but they up it like a heart, like heart attack level. Um, <laughs> and it, you just have to try stuff. So I would say like Charlotte or Daytona now. Daytona. Oh, my gosh. I've had the catering in their suites since they redid everything. Oh, my gosh. It's like the nicest steakhouse you go to. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, most underrated NASCAR track. Underrated NASCAR track. Gosh. Um, well, that doesn't get as much attention as like Talladega or Daytona or. You know, I would say like it's it's funny because it's a mile and a half, but I would say Homestead. It it produces some of the best races just side by side. It's worn out. Um, uh, see, a I, mile I, and a half. I disagree on that one because I've watched races from the infield there. And because the cars, they don't get separated. You've got just constant noise. I, from a fan's perspective, I just find it's constant noise. Yes. So from a fan's perspective, gosh, I would say a road course. That that's where it's at. You don't have the constant noise. You have the beauty of you know the the area. You see cars doing different things in different areas, turning left and right. <laughs> and best NASCAR city in which that has a track. So because Talladega you aren't in a city, your hotel's like 45 minutes away. So best NASCAR experience city. Oh, 
I mean, if I'm going to go with a place, I'd say Sonoma. It's outside of San Francisco. But if you're in a city, I would say Las Vegas. I mean, just it, it's so much fun to go back there for a race. Well, our good friend uh, and yours as well, Jacob Ullman, he always told, told us we have to go to Sonoma. Sonoma is amazing. I mean, you'll drink a lot of wine, but just it's beautiful. You know, cars are racing and people are like drinking wine and they're mm. racing in the hills. It's, it's just very picturesque. It sounds amazing. But it's one of the tracks that lost a race this year because of all of this, unfortunately. Right. Yeah, right. bummer. So, Jamie, with all these uh, the races being canceled, uh, Fox has a window of races. Does that window get extended now? Yes. So um, it's my understanding we will be covering races for the next two months, even though NASCAR has only announced the next two races. So I don't know my schedule beyond Charlotte. Um, but it's changing and hopefully it all goes really well, really well this weekend that we can start adding people and things start looking more normal, but, um, we will get our slated number of races in. So I'm excited. It'll take us well into July and, um, and we won't get, um, you know, shortchanged. Yeah. Well, Jamie, we thank you for coming on. This is uh, best of luck, uh, watching the race this weekend and then covering the 600, man, I, I have stress dreams just thinking about what you must be thinking about covering the Coca-Cola 600 by yourself. I'm already losing sleep. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and thank you for your patience while we attempted to contact you on, on Skype. Well, those are the notes. Already. Oh the my notes God. already. I mean, yes. It's crazy. Look at this stuff. It's only I can read because it one, only makes me feel better. One last question because uh, I've been at some – some uh, hot tracks like Talladega, Bristol, where it's been scorching dead on the infield. Yes. What's the hottest you've ever been while reporting? Because it must be unbearable at times. Gosh, I would say uh, the Brickyard 400 at Indianapolis in July. And um, I think I was like 35 weeks mm. pregnant with my son and people all thought I was going to die. And I'm like, hell no, I got this. But it was so <laughs> freaking hot. I mean, as big as that racetrack is, you are crammed on pit road. As you guys know, I mean, it's old school. That that pit road was was designed, you know, 100 years ago. So people are tight. That was one. And then Fontana right outside of L.A. was another one that was brutal. Yeah, That's fun. the only NASCAR track I've been to, Jamie Fontana. Because if you're going to go to one NASCAR track, <laughs> you want it to be Fontana. <laughs> hey, at least the, the racing is actually really good out there. It's, it's, it's great. And it didn't used to be the case. It was, and we raced there twice a year. It wasn't the best. Um, and now it's one of the best places because it's so worn out. And these guys are so fast with the new package and this new car. So. Um, yeah, I like it. I mean, it's not a terrible experience, right? I, I want to go to Fontana. I, I want to go to Fontana on a non-race day and see what goes on there. I, I just want to see. <laughs> you know, uh, trash trucks. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what it says on the welcome to Fontana. <laughs> yeah. Trash trucks. Hey, the backdrop is beautiful, though. <laughs> it is. Absolutely. It is. Uh, Jamie Little, we thank you for this. And uh, you're welcome back anytime that uh, we aren't on Skype. It would be even better. Yes, I'm going to start um, on that right now. I'm going to get a glass of wine and start my tutorial on Skype for next time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, you guys. Good to see you again. Good to, Good see, to you. see you, too. Bye-bye. Uh, what a professional broadcaster, oh, Jamie. Little. lovely. And, yeah. and, yeah, as soon as you see her, you're like, oh, I know her. Like, oh, she's yeah. she's been covering motorsports for so long and uh, doing a great job at it.
Yeah, it's, uh, you know, a very kind person. And yeah, I like people like her, like Jamie. You know, you see her on TV for a long time. You meet her in person. She's authentic. Well, actually, both both broadcasters we had on this podcast, exactly the same. John Anik, from the second we met him years ago, has just been exceptionally kind. And it's so nice to see him ascend to the top of that sport. And then, yeah, Jamie couldn't have been nicer to us, so. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I was wondering the thirty minutes it took us to yeah. try to get a hold of her. I was wondering to do a an are they related? Um, Jennifer Hedger and Jamie Little. Jennifer Hedger and Jamie Little are kind of like each country's similar broadcaster. Like the, it looks very similar. I thought. Uh, I'd go more like Renee Zellweger, Jamie Little. I think I'd go Zellweger. Uh, I go Jennifer Hedger, Molly Sims, Molly Sims. Who the hell's Molly Sims? She was on a bunch of shows. I'm looking at Las Vegas show. Yeah, look her up. You, you'll like. She's one of those a- actors. You know her to see her kind of thing. I think. I'm assuming she was a model at some point. But I think Hedger used to get that a lot. Mo- the Molly Sims comparison. I think it's Molly Sims. That's it. My internet's <laughs> not working. All right. Are you? Well, are you? Okay. Uh. <laughs> Uh, this has been fun, everybody. <laughs> okay, well, uh, as you look up Molly Sims, uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, uh, I wanted to get a one glance before. Well, maybe we can do a... Oh, there we go. Okay. Right? Young Hedge right there. I think- like, I, I would say that we should get... Hedge on here, yes. Podcast, right? And then we can ask her if, if uh, she's ever gotten the Molly Sims comparisons. I'm positive she has. Let's book it right now, Jennifer Hedger next week. Let's do it. All right, all right. Tools, do you get a hold of her? Uh, uh... <laughs> hey, I think that's the first time ever I booked both guests today. You did a great job. They were excellent. I thought they were awesome. Super kind. I'll, I'll contact Hedge because. Uh, uh, Hedge and I uh, used to work together on the show, and my understanding is she uh, doesn't uh, doesn't like you very much. So uh, that'll work out well. Yeah. Hey, she did meet her husband at my wedding. Yes, so. that's right. That's right. We can talk. Uh, about okay. That. Well, I hope yeah. you guys enjoyed the podcast. And uh, I know, stop. You're leaving in all of that stuff where we took 30 minutes to try to get a hold of Jamie Little. The entire hour, yes. <laughs> <laughs> all of it. All right, see you guys. Bye. 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 Uh, okay, so so stuff. I sent you the information on our next guest. Did it come through? Yeah. Can you just send it again a little more uh, zoomed in? Because when I zoom in on it, it blurs all the numbers. Here, I sent you another one. So she Ooh. sent. I'm I'm loving. This she sent part me a link. She sent me a link. <laughs> That's to your email, stuff. To my email. <laughs> you just get a snapshot of that, uh, uh, the one you sent me before, just maybe a little more zoomed in. Here, here, I'm gonna forward you her phone number. You can call her. Okay, how about I read it? You'll cut this part out. <laughs> yes, the, hopefully. Okay, and then it's. Is that an F? That, that's what I'm wondering. I got it as an F. Okay, so we both either have terrible vision or... I don't know. That's, that's what I had. Ah, oh, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I have no idea why this is not working. Seven two one maybe. Seven two one. I think we should keep. I think we should keep this. In the, in the <laughs> Absolutely. Again, how is that your Skype name? It's so bad. Flip that to her and hopefully that enables her to join us. If not, I will begin to cry. <laughs> so, Space Jam. <laughs> Hello? Hello, Jamie Little? Hi! Hi, it's Dan O'Toole from TSN in Canada. Oh I'm so sorry. No, this is no, we, we the Skype Skype is brutal. Like Okay, wait. Okay, answer that. Now you got to click on your your camera. Okay, let's Okay. Really? I use Zoom all the freaking time. It says no device found. <laughs> what in the heck? See me yet? See me yet? Oh, oh. Yay! She's like, we usually do things on Zoom. I'm getting a lot of feedback, guys. Oh, what? Did you pick that work? No, I hold on. I just muted her right now, and now it's not letting me unmute. That's great. <laughs> God, what is happening? This is fun. This is fun.
You're listening to the Jay and Dan Podcast. Brought to you by our friends at McDonald's. James Duffy presents the Rubber Boots Podcast. So we're sitting down at our table. The, the waiter comes up. And he's like profusely sweating. <laughs> and this is like 100% his first line to us. He goes, hello. I am not well. I'm very ill. You ate there? I came down with it yesterday. I've just not been good. Not good at all. Get it at tsn.ca and anywhere you get your podcasts.